Welcome to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. In chapter 55 of Isaiah, verse 11, God tells the prophet, So will my word be which goes out of my mouth. It will not return to me void without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. Standing on this promise, T.D. Stubblefield Ministries is committed to sharing biblical principles with individuals, families, churches, communities, and our world, believing that only the Word of God can advance us in God's perfect plan for our lives, where we can experience liberating faith, lasting hope, and unconditional love in a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Dr. T.D. Stubblefield with today's Advancing Word. As I have prayed about this Thanksgiving message, I have been led, led very early in my preparation to the 100th Psalm, and it is a familiar psalm. I want us to uh, just stand as we recite or read it. Uh, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pastor. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Just for a few moments, I want to talk about poised for praise. Poised for praise. The word poised means to be in position. It means to uh, be prepared. It communicates the idea of readiness. It communicates in some ways the expression of something that is inherently a nature or a part of one's nature. But uh, this is a passage that I think reminds us of our fundamental calling as children of God is that we are poised for Praise. I've seen this sign a number of times off of I-40, 64, as you travel east, uh, coming across Boom Bridge. It's about a mile before you get there. But I saw it this morning, and it spoke to me in, in a way that it never really registered before. And the sign said, Conservation Area. It was a big sign. It said, Conservation Area. I've seen it a 100 times. But this morning, it really registered in my spirit and in my mind because I realize that that is a sign that indicates if you take the exit where the sign is, you will find yourself in an area where the land, wildlife is protected by law, protected by state, and protected by federal regulations. As I thought about that and thought about what I was going to share with you this morning, it occurred to me that the 100th Psalm is a spiritual conservatory. It is a spiritual conservatory. It is one of the many places, particularly in the Psalms, where it is uh, noted that worship and praise is prioritized, uh, is protected, and it's preserved. Uh, God accentuates in this Psalm, particularly and in others, that praise is primary and that his people ought to be, should be, pause for praise. We are, to put it another way, we're God's holy hecklers. Another way of thinking about it is that we are wired for worship. 
We're wired for worship this morning. We are worshiping God without the support of musical accompaniment. We've heard songs sing. Testimonies have resonated because God's people, we are wired for worship. As I looked at this, I thought about how the author of this particular psalm is anonymous. The authorship is shrouded in anonymity, but it opens a door for autonomy, for autonomous application, because each of us, this is kind of like a fill in the blank. Each of us can participate in what the psalmist is sharing in these five stanzas. You can substitute your experience, your situation. I can substitute mine. When you think about the church, when you think about who we are called to be as children of God, one of the ways that I think the Bible positions that is that his people are poised for praise. Nobody else has that responsibility. Nobody else has been given that authority, but we are pause for praise. Now, I want to say that I'm using praise in more of a general sense today because when you think about worship, worship always moves between two polarities, and that is praise and thanksgiving. We praise God for who he is, but we thank him for what he's done. And I have heard both polarities represented in your responses here today. But I'm using praise as kind of a synonym for what happens when we worship God, when we worship God. So when I saw this thread, this theme in this 100th Psalm, how we are paused for praise, the text upon questioning yield three things that I think are important for us to consider today on this Thanksgiving. One is there is the mandate for praise or the mandate to praise. It's interesting, we lose it in translation, but all, all the verbs in this psalm are imperative verbs. If you get under the hood of the text, if you go back to the original language, the imperative mood saturates these verses, these stanzas, letting us know that praise is not an optional exercise. For the children of God, praise has a mandatoriness associated with it. So it's not an optional exercise. And the other thing that's noteworthy in the psalm is that there is a universal appeal. When you're experiencing a good thing, you want to share it. So there is this universal appeal. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all ye lands. Some of the translations is all you people, because God intended ultimately and essentially for humanity to worship him. Uh, This is not only true because he's made us, but also it is true because he has redeemed us. And so there is this mandate. We are, one person said it this way, an anonymous author said, to worship God is life's greatest treasure. To know God is life's greatest pleasure. It reminds me of what St. Augustine said, that African bishop of the church a few centuries ago, who said of God, thou hast made us for yourself, and our hearts is restless until they find their rest in you. And so there is this mandate. There is this mandate to praise God. 
we see it very obviously in the uh, Old Testament. When we get to the New Testament, it's our worship that leverages our witnessing. I love the way it's positioned in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47. And that passage, which deals with what the church occupied herself with in her earliest existence, how they uh, went from house to house, how they uh, followed the apostles' doctrine, how they engaged in fellowship. But it ends by saying they praise God. They praise God. That was a priority. Then they had favor with all the people. First of all, they praise God, and that opened up a door for favor with the people. And then it says, the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. Today, as we think about we are paused for praise, one of the things that's obvious is that there is a mandate. It's not optional. The church is doing what the church does best when we are praising God. And I have been blessed this morning because of the praise. And then the next thing in the text is the method of praise. Not just the mandate to praise, but the method of praise. If you read this psalm in translation, there are seven different verbs that communicate how we praise God. Let me just reiterate them. Make. Make a joyful noise. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God, and he hath made us, and not we ourselves. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and his course with praise. Be, sometimes worship is just being who you be. Be thankful unto him, and bless uh, his holy name. And what we have is we have seven verbs in the English that translates five verbs in the Hebrew that lets us know whatever else worship is, it's not one size fit all. And I'm glad about that. I'm glad it's not like a cookie cutter thing that uh, we are always pressed into a mold that you and I have the flexibility to express our own individuality. We don't worship God the same way. It would be great. It would be great to see these pews packed, but I'm not going to begrudge those who are spending quality time with family. What God does in this passage is provide a kind of spiritual smorgasbord. Aren't you glad he don't give us a plate lunch? But he provides a smorgasbord where you can pick out what blesses you. And, uh, and so we worship him and we praise him differently because worship according to this psalm and, and its five stanzas and the diversity of method in it. It's multi-sensory. It's multi-generational. It's multi-faceted. There is an inclusivity about worship. Went up to the Trout Lodge and the YMCA way, way up in the foothills. It's in Potosi. And when I go to Potosi, it's a wonderful time this time of the year because the place is uh, very quiet. I was walking a trail and there in the presence of a cascading fall of water and just um, the melodic silence of the woods. I just had a moment where it occurred to me that life can never destroy what God has created. And this image came in my mind of, of Brother Earth and Sister Water. 
And you think about it, that's what God made us out of. We're, for the most part, over 90% of our bodies is just water and chemicals. We say uh, when we bid farewell to those who go to be with the Lord dust to dust and and ashes to ashes and earth to earth, it's not just a mantra. It's not just something we say because no matter what happens in life, life cannot destroy what God has created. Life cannot destroy what God has created. And our bodies go back to the earth, but our spirits go to God. And that was just as much to me, that moment, that epiphany was just as much to me as what happens sometimes on Sunday morning when we're here together and we're worshiping God. It was a moment God spoke to me and said, said it's all right. It's all right. I, I got you. And, and you think about what Paul says in 2 Thessalonians, that he's able to preserve body, soul, and spirit. And, uh, and that he's so good at what he does that even when, when our bodies go back to the earth at resurrection morning, at resurrection morning, he know where every particle is. He know where everything is. And he's going to call it all back together. And I say to you today, if he did it once, he can do it again. We're grateful. I'm, I'm so inspired by your presence today. But we're not going to, uh, to look down on people who are not here who choose to, to worship the Lord, who, who choose to bless his name, enter his presence through some other gate. What matters is that we give him glory. What matters is that we give him honor. What matters is that we give him praise. And you know what? God, thank you, Holy Ghost. God gave us some flexibility in that because, see, sometimes we are tyrannized by the quantifiable. But you know what the Lord said? He says, we're two. Are three. There he is in the midst of them. In the midst of them. So there is the methods uh, praise. But then there's the motivation for praise. You know what I love about this psalm? It, it pulsates between response and rationale. Response. The, the response is make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. That's a response. First stanza, right? Here's a rationale. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pastor. Rationale. Response, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his what? Courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. Rationale, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his what? Truth endure to all generations. See, there is this movement between response and rationale. Philip Yancey has a book, very popular book called What's So Amazing About Grace. But he wrote another book and this book was called What Good Is God? What Good Is God? In Search of a faith that matters. The book, What Good Is God, stimulated something in my spirit that evoked an unavoidable collision with this particular text. Because I realized that the question is not. See, Philip, bless his heart, he asked the wrong question. It's not what good is God. The question that need to be asked is how? The psalmist is not dealing with a what. He's not dealing with what in this text. He says, for the Lord is what? Good. 
His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. He moves from any disappointment, from any disillusionment, from any discouragement, from what to how, because the last stanza is how good is God. It makes me appreciate how capable and comprehensive our ancestors were. They were great theologians. They may not have had the academic training that many of us have, but they were great theologians because they weren't concerned about what good is God. They already knew how good God is. There ought to be some folk in here who really know how good God is. Now, we heard from a few witnesses this morning, but my sense about it is that there are some other witnesses in the house that there's somebody else in here who knows how good God is. But when the psalmist deals with this part of the message, both rationales move between essence and experience. And the third stanza is essence because he says, Know ye that the Lord, he is God. Yahweh, who is one, is God, Elohim, who's three. He's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And not only that, he's revealed himself to us as a shepherd. And I'm telling you, every sheep needs a shepherd. I hear David saying in another place, the Lord is my shepherd. And because he is, I shall not want. It's he that made us. I didn't just pull myself up. I didn't just birth myself in some laboratory experiment, but God made me in his image. And because he did, there's no mistakes in here. Every one of us have a purpose and plan. And let me tell you something. When God made you, he threw away the template. After all those he's created down through the years, you are an original and not a copy. There's nobody like you. God thought so much of you and me that he wrote our members in his book and without an MRI he can tell what's going on with a broken body. Isn't he good? He's good. The Lord is good. His essence he's God. Our experience of him know that he's good. The Hebrew word means know by experience. He's good. And it's good for us to come today. Those of you who are here, pull away from other activities that you've planned and to just give God praise. And he's pleased with that. He's pleased with that. Because we are honoring the mandate. We are utilizing the method. And we're exercising the motivation for praise. We live in a world that is trying to push God completely out of the picture. I'm concerned. I'm concerned about this all-out assault on biblical truth, on things spiritual. If there was ever a time when the church needed to be a conservation area where we preserve, prioritize, and perpetuate praise, that time is now. You have been listening to Advancing Word with Dr. T.D. Stubblefield. We pray that you have been encouraged with what your ears have heard and your hearts have felt. Explore our website at tdstubblefield.org. 
For more information about us and to obtain resources provided by TD Stubblefield Ministries. Until next time, be blessed and remember to stop stressing and start stepping, advancing in faith, hope, and love by reading and applying the Word of God so you can stand on certain truth for uncertain times.